Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationship is strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams, so you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today we'll uncover the pattern you and your sweetheart have when there's conflict. We'll look at how everyone has a typical rhythm to their misunderstandings. I'll compare that rhythm to a merry-go-round, and I'll give you some help for how you can slow the spin of an argument that gets out of control. Do you and your sweetheart have the same fight over and over? Relationships tangle up with a familiar rhythm over and over, even if the topic changes. Whether you fight about who washes more dishes or who spends more money, the rhythm feels similar. You can feel that moment right before the conversation turns into conflict. Both of you can probably feel that tipping point when you lose control. Then each couple's rhythm is unique. Some people stew in silence. Some couples explode. Sometimes one person is yelling and the other is cowering. Or there's a silent standoff with each person going to their corner. Or the air in your home gets filled with toxic sideways comments, but no one addresses the real issue. I bet you could name all the ways your sweetheart frustrates or maybe scares you when conflict spins out of control. This is because you each have an invisible script for how conflict is supposed to go. Some people have a conflict script that says, we're going to talk and talk until the issue is solved. For this person, if the words get heated and voices get raised, it's understandable because it's an intense moment and apologies can heal everything. For this person, the most important thing is that we get everything out on the table where we can see it. Other people have a script that reads, when we sense a conflict brewing, we need to take a break. After some quiet time to process, we can reconvene later to compare notes. <laughs> For this person, the important thing is that we don't say anything we'll regret. Words cause wounds. So this person doesn't want to say anything until they're absolutely certain it's the right thing to say. And... There's still others that get a script that reads, conflict is bad, don't do it, stay away. Who are you more likely to be? Who's your sweetheart likely to be when it comes to conflict? Let's look at a quick example. You walk into the hallway and there's your sweetheart's shoes again. What is so hard about putting those shoes in the shoe rack by the door? You swoop up a singular shoe and stomp down the hallway. Why can't you put your shoes away? Your sweetheart shrinks. And suddenly you wake up from your frustration and you see yourself, the crazy screaming person. And then you feel ashamed and you skulk away. But the next time you find shoes in the hallway, your anger is even stronger. Of course. Because now when you see the shoes, not only do you feel frustrated at your sweetheart's shoe habit, you also feel the residual embarrassment of that last time's tirade. 
and the cycle continues. Your sweetheart stays checked out about their shoes. You yell more. Nothing changes except your frustration with each other. When did happily ever after devolve into this mess, right? Well, what no one told you is that moments like this one are actually an invitation to connect more deeply with your sweetheart. Sounds completely backward, right? But conflict can actually become an invitation to connect and deepen your happily ever after. You expect to need to practice when riding a bike or learning to draw, but we don't expect to need to practice when it comes to conflict. Every couple I know, including myself, has a predictable pattern to their conflict. And because you don't automatically know how to approach conflict productively, you and your sweetheart need to learn the rhythm of your conflict. You can't make changes until you identify your rhythm, right? Identifying your rhythm and shifting it takes practice. The point of our discussion today is to learn how to turn conflict into connection instead of pushing each other away. I'm going to compare your conflict cycle to a spinning merry-go-round. On the playground where I grew up, there was a simple metal merry-go-round. And my friend Kimmy and I would take turns in the middle. If you weren't in the middle, your job was to get the merry-go-round spinning by pushing on the handlebars. Hoop, hoop, hoop. I'd spin it faster and faster until Kimmy couldn't stay on anymore and she'd spin off. Your conflict is like this merry-go-round. It gets spinning and spinning until you're dizzy and you lose control and spin off of the course of kind communication and you or your sweetheart gets hurt. In the beginning of your relationship, it's almost romantic to fight and then make up. That's the example we're given by Hollywood, right? We fight, then we connect with that fabulous makeup sex. But we all know that simple makeup sex is unsustainable. You need to learn how to make conflict become a window of connection rather than a door of alienation. Each time your sweetheart doesn't follow the script that's in your head, it feels like they give a big push on that merry-go-round, spinning you out of control. The difference between happily ever after and alienation in your relationship is how you handle the hurt that comes from the merry-go-round that is your conflict cycle. Let's go back to that playground for just a minute. Kimmy's in the middle, and I'm pushing that merry-go-round for all I'm worth. All that spinning causes my friend to fall off the merry-go-round. Getting bonked is a normal part of childhood, right? And we can't avoid getting bonked as adults either. But a bonk that's quickly comforted is different than a bonk that leaves a lasting scar. One time, when Kimmy fell off the merry-go-round, she looked at me with these hateful eyes and ran away. I felt dreadful. Our game took this wretched turn and left this giant pit in my stomach. I went home feeling so lonely. And the next day, I didn't know how to go to her house and ask if she could play. 
The bonk she felt falling off the merry-go-round had hurt me as well. And it hurt our relationship. But that spinning merry-go-round scenario sometimes went differently. A different day when Kimmy was spinning and fell off, I got to go over to her and scoop her up. She let me hug her, and then we held hands as we ran over to the ice cream truck, bought an orange-flavored popsicle, broke it in half, and shared it. Instead of that dreaded lonely pit in my stomach, we both had this warm feeling of connection. Together, we faced a bonk, but we also comforted each other together and healed. Getting the bonk actually set us up to be even better friends because there was this trust built because we faced a hardship together. This pattern of hurt, heal, build trust is how conflict turns into connection in your relationship. If one of you runs away in tears, it hurts both of you. Is your conflict cycle planting seeds of connection over the long term? Are you finding a way to take the bonk of conflict and let it bond you as you head (laughs) to the ice cream truck to share a popsicle? Or are you more likely to run away or shut down or yell? And if so, how will that jeopardize your happily ever after? I'll tell you about the conflict cycle that happens in my marriage. I talk, my husband is quiet. I had a struggle at work, and my go-to is to talk it out with him. Whenever anything bothers my husband, however, his go-to is to quietly ponder until he understands what's hurting him. (laughs) You can already see how we have different scripts for how to handle conflict, right? I talk, 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 talk. And then I pause to say, what do you think? And he says, hmm, I don't know. Because he hasn't had time to process. Now, I don't know when my husband says that for me is a cue to keep talking. Understanding comes from talking, right? (laughs) So I talk, 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 and then pause to say, can you help me? And now my husband, who is already overwhelmed by so much conversation, feels pressure to get it right as he helps me. He wants to be helpful, but he doesn't know how. He pauses to ponder because that's what his script says, right? And as he pauses because he's feeling nervous, his posture retreats just a teeny tiny bit. Do you remember last week in episode nine when we talked about our responses to panic? Some people fight when they feel panic. And some people fly away or freeze. Take a guess about me and my husband. When my unconscious mind senses his retreat, that amygdala part of my brain wakes up and sounds the alert. Now I'm not just worried about my struggle at work. My relationship feels threatened because I sense Dave's leaving me. Now. I pounce on him like a lion. You're not listening to me. You don't care that I'm hurting. Now, this is how I truly feel. But David is a rabbit, not a lion. He's scared now, and his amygdala shouts at him, freeze. Be calm. 
invisible. The only reason he's staying in the room is that I'm hurting and he hates to see me hurt. But his body's panic response demands that he stay very, very still. This is our different scripts for how to handle conflict. I engage, he ponders. I pounce, he freezes. And when he freezes, it feels just like when Kimmy ran away from the merry-go-round. I can't comfort her and hug away the bonk feeling she got from falling off the merry-go-round. Or I can't get hugged and be comforted. When David freezes up, I can't sense him caring about my hurt feelings. And he's so scared by my pounce that he feels paralyzed. Instead of the conflict I felt about work connecting us, we feel alienated and I feel even more alone. And David is now frightened and confused. How do we use that conflict cycle as a window opening us to connection instead of a slamming door of alienation. This week's habit for your happily ever after is to draw a picture of your conflict cycle. This will allow you to see the script you and your sweetheart have for conflict. It'll help you get a handle on the rhythm you practice over and over. How do each of you spin that misunderstanding merry-go-round faster and faster? When you can see what escalates the spinning out of control, you can change. But don't worry about changing right now. Don't worry about changing this week. The only thing I'm inviting you to do right now is to get out a piece of paper and draw a circle on the page, and this will represent your misunderstanding cycle. Think of a very specific argument that you've had together. What happened first? Draw a line on your circle to represent the handlebar on your circle slash merry-go-round, and write that behavior on that handlebar. What happens next? Do the same thing and draw another line to represent another behavior that gives your merry-go-round a spin. Keep filling in the nexts and the nexts, and you'll notice how your conflict spins out of control. In the example I gave you of my marriage, I wanted to talk with David about a challenge I had at work. I want to have an exchange. And because I'm upset about work, I might come on a little strong. Okay, so that's my little handlebar on the cycle is I want to have an exchange and I'm coming to that situation upset. David wants to be there for me, but he doesn't want to upset me further. So he adopts this timid posture. That's the next line on our misunderstanding cycle, his posture. I interpret this timidity on his part as a lack of engagement, and so I pounce. That's my line on the misunderstanding merry-go-round. Engage with me, I'm thinking. He thinks he's done something wrong, and he retreats further, and there it is. That's how we spin out of control in my relationship. 
We both wanted the other to read from our personal script of conflict. I wanted engagement that actively assures me he's on my team. He wants the comfort of peace and quiet so he feels safe with me. When I began to notice his retreat posture, and instead of taking it as a personal rejection of me, I was able to simply see that he had a different script for how to deal with a tough moment. I could laugh a little bit and say, Dave, am I scaring you? Or sometimes it was David who realized my intensity was a cry for help, and he'd come over and just quietly hug me. These are the exit ramps we found to help us slow that dizzy spinning of an argument. And we'll talk more about how to find these exits in the future. But for now, the habit you're creating is simply to notice how each of you understand conflict differently. And that difference of understanding is like pushing the merry-go-round to cause your sweetheart to feel dizzy. So your task this week is just to draw out that cycle you face when there's conflict and to believe in the miracle of the shared popsicle and how a bonk on the playground or a conflict in your relationship can become a place to build trust. We've arrived at our date night discussion segment. This week, I invite you to tell your sweetheart a story about when you got your feelings hurt as a child. Not not that your feelings got hurt by your sweetheart, but by someone else. And then follow up the story with what you wish had happened when you'd gotten hurt. The reason I invite you to talk about how someone else hurt your feelings is that it's a chance for both you and your sweetheart to notice the types of things that hurt your feelings. This is a meta conversation for your relationship, right? Allow yourself to notice the way your sweetheart typically handles hurt. The magic of having curiosity conversations like this one is that you get to observe your sweetheart and notice how they behave when they're upset without it being so personal. Your brain will tuck that away so you can recognize hurt in your sweetheart and become more attuned to their cues. Remember the difference between me and my husband? I pounce when I'm hurt. He freezes up. In order to cultivate your happily ever after, it helps to know these sorts of patterns in your sweetheart's behavior. It helps you recognize things that previously you were taking personally. When David got quiet, I took it personally, and I thought he was abandoning me. When I kept talking louder and louder, more and more boisterously, David took it personally and thought he was saying something wrong. So he backed up more and more, and he got quiet. Become a detective in this conversation and see if you can notice what might have turned that bonk into a bond. What would be the popsicle that would have allowed your sweetheart to feel like they had a friend in their icky childhood moment? When you figure out a way to open a window of connection, when your sweetheart is hurt, text me and tell me about it. You can reach me at 970-210-4482.
zero. I want to know about your relationships misunderstanding merry-go-round. I'll be taking a break for the holiday season, but I'll be back in January. Thanks for listening until the end of this podcast. And since you're here, please press that follow button up in the corner of your podcast. You'll find it inside those three little dots. It would also help me if you'd take a quick moment to send this episode to a friend. Word of mouth helps keep this podcast growing, which keeps me here talking with you. That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.